we're going to look at John 14. Jesus teaches his disciples about the Holy Spirit. Our topic today isn't the most comprehensible topic. Many of us, so many of us, get this concept way, way wrong. We go our entire lives scratching our heads. But what about the Holy Spirit, we ask ourselves, in confusion? In Jesus' famous last words in chapter 14 from verse 15, in fact, the whole chapter 14, he deals with this idea of finding a home, dwelling with, with God. I go to prepare a place for you. And this illustration is continued. In fact, it becomes much more literal. Since the very beginning of creation, God intended to dwell with humankind. In the garden, he made a special place, unique from all the other places on earth, where the earthly and the divine sort of overlapped in this garden. And God was able to dwell with Adam and Eve, and they were able to be in the presence of God. I don't know in what way. It doesn't say. That's why they needed to be exiled from the garden when they sinned, because they could no longer be in the presence of God. And the garden represented that presence. It wouldn't be until much, much later in human history where... God put something in place for him to, in some limited capacity, dwell with his people. It's called the tabernacle. He told Israel how to build it because they still had their sin on them. And there's a, a famous sermon series by, uh, by Joel James from Leviticus called uh, living with a dangerous God. That with our sin, being in the presence of God is a hazard for us. And so dwelling with him, it was an attempted way for him to have that localized physical presence with his people. But as we know from biblical history, that didn't work out so well either. The problem was our sin. And it's not for his sake. <laughs> it's for our sake. We were created to be in communion with God. It's to our, our very purpose and our longing to do so. And then Jesus came and he taught on this. They, they were longing for a time when the glory of God would be with them again, the way it was with Solomon and David before him. And Jesus looked at this grand temple complex that was built by a pagan king, and um, he said, this temple took 47 years to build or something like that. It's going to be destroyed, and God's going to build it in three days. They thought he was crazy. 
but he was referring to himself. Because what had he been doing for the last 30 years? Living among them. God incarnate, God manifested the person living and working among them. What they had so longed for. And the temple was a representation of this. And it will continue to be a representation of God's presence. In heaven there won't be a temple, obviously, because it would be like the original intention where we could dwell without restriction. But what about now? Jesus wasn't going to be among them physically forever. Yes, in the future, but this is what chapter 14 is saying. I'm going to leave you now. But you're among us. Why go? It would mean that you're not among us anymore. <laughs> we don't ever want that. Isn't there some other way for you to be with us? Let's read from verse 15 and hear what Jesus says. The promise of the Spirit's indwelling. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot perceive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, and you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Lord, we do pray this morning that we may understand what your Spirit is, what he has come to do, and how we may better live our Christian life knowing that you are so close by. In Jesus' name, amen. Sent us comforter and he touches on this in chapter 16. He teaches more on the Holy Spirit. But really, this passage, it connects, it strands out to all we understand about the Holy Spirit from Scripture, and there's a lot. And honestly, there's a lot of misunderstandings and confusions. It is to every believer's benefit to fully and completely understand the ministry of the Spirit. For yourselves. So here we have, I will pray and the Father shall give you a comforter 
that he may abide with you forever. Jesus said, yes, I am going, but I'm also not going. And he will never, ever leave you once he has been sent. The Spirit is not an impersonal force like Star Wars <laughs> that we can tap into and mystically attuned to. No, he's a very real person. We, we can grieve the spirit. So many other characteristics of, of God that we cannot fully know in this life. But there are some things about the spirit that we can know. It brings us to our first point. The spirit brings truth. In 1 Corinthians 6, says this, what, know you not that your temple is the body of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, which you are not your own. Sorry, our first point is the Spirit brings comfort. The Spirit brings comfort. For you are brought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. There was another point I wanted to make with the children, but I, I thought maybe it's too much and I, I rather left it out when we we talk about our bodies being the temple of a temple <laughs> a temple we have to understand the significance of that statement that throughout human history we've been trying to find how can we dwell with god and if you're a believer this morning that is a reality in a profound way doesn't mean we need to keep our bodies healthy because it's a temple. Yet we should keep our bodies healthy anyway. <laughs> it means we should keep our bodies pure and sanctified. Use it to bring glory to God. The temple was a place of sanctification where the outside world was separated in this place. And God in his glory could dwell. Isn't that amazing? You look down, you think, really? <laughs> yeah. So it brings comfort in that God is close. Not just close, more than close. This is essentially Jesus' teaching about the doctrine of indwelling. What does it mean? What significance does it have in our life? Even the spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it has seen him not. The spirit does bring truth. In 1 Corinthians, again, there's going to be a lot of cross-references because like I said, it's, a, it's really a subject that you have to look at it holistically. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words of man, wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with the spiritual. Isn't it amazing, then, that the Spirit that comforts us is also the one who divinely inspired the men who wrote the Bible, the people who sat down and were writing these letters, it says, 
and men were were moved um, by the Spirit. He he inspired our scriptures. He he came upon the prophets of old, and he somehow um, was involved in the process of uh, divine revelation. So when the Spirit came on people, it was to speak the words of God. Not always, but in most cases, that is the reason why. That we have this wonderful truth. We wouldn't know about Jesus. We wouldn't know about any of this without this book. And it was through the Spirit that this was made possible. So it is the Spirit of truth. Listen to what Jesus teaches later on in John 16. I wanted to just touch on that. Howbeit when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall now not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. And that he speak, and he will see you things to come. Jesus himself said, I don't speak of myself. What it's essentially saying is that the Spirit will never contradict what Jesus himself has taught, and the G- Jesus and, and, and the Spirit will never contradict what the Father has taught and who he is, that they are in complete unity with each other. So for someone to stand on a stage, say, I have received revelation, and that it contradicts even a word from this book, you can know for a fact that that man or that woman or whoever is lying to you. The Spirit of God will never, ever contradict this book. He essentially wrote it. It's not man's words. We believe in the, the plenary inspiration of the Bible that somehow God divinely intended every word. And that's, that should affect how we read it, how we live it, and what we take from it. And to even entertain the thought of somebody having additional revelation from God is heresy. The Spirit brings truth, and it does not contradict. In fact, the Word says that the Spirit will testify, Jesus said that, of me. It will always draw people back to Christ and God and the Word. The Spirit brings life. Verse 19. Yet a little while, and the, word, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, and you live also. It's interesting that that's written in the present tense, right? Even though just in a few hours he will be put to death. Not, I shall live, but I live. The Spirit does many things. We see... Um, his hand in creation. We see his hand in the inspiration of Scripture. And we see his hand in salvation. That in fact, if we read what the Scripture says about salvation, 
there's this triune cooperation between the, the persons of God. And the Spirit enables that light. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. To cleanse us of the stain of sin, to renew what was once dead, to bring back to life, and then to enable this new creation that we are no longer subject or, or bound by the, the sin that was once, that even though we exist still in this world, we are completely new. And the Spirit is the one that enables that. It's important to know that the Spirit of God that is doing all these things, that has done all these things, that it's with us. It's not distant. When we talk about sanctification, the doctrine of, of living this life in a Christ-like manner, that we are now made new and we are enabled to turn towards God and to live a life ple pleasing of God. Well, that's impossible without the Spirit. It says that the Spirit enables that and empowers us to do that. And without the Spirit, we can never do anything pleasing to God. We hear these amazing testimonies of, of changed lives. It's the Spirit that is, is able to do that. And when it talks about the renewing of the Holy Ghost, it's an instantaneous thing, yes, but it's also a lifetime thing. And when John talks about that, he talks about it in a temporal sense, that there was a moment in time, but he also talks about it in the sense of quality. There's a specific Greek word that refers to something renewed in quality as well. And he talks about both of those aspects when he says, you are renewed by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit brings instruction. So in verse 26, actually, let's look there. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. So in verse 22, it says, Judas said unto him, the Bible distinguishes this, there was another disciple named Judas as well, so distinguish that this is not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. Remember, he left already in the previous chapter. The Lord says, he asked the Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, but not unto the world? How were we able to not see you, but be aware of your presence. Know that you are with us when the world isn't able to know the same. I mean, you're standing right here. I can see you and anyone else looking can see you. How is that going to be different? He touches love. We're going to get to that. But I wanted to bring verse 26 to your attention first. That the comforter will be sent in my name and shall teach you all things. The Spirit brings instruction. Not only revelation and inspiration, 
but also something we call illumination and understanding and wisdom and guidance. In 1 John, let me remind you from chapter 2, but the anointing which you have received of him, which is the Spirit, abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth, it is not a lie, and even as it is taught you, you shall abide in him. So what is that saying? Is that saying that we don't need teachers and instructors and Bible teachers and we can just read the Bible and the Spirit will tell us what it means. No, <laughs> that would contradict other portions of Scripture. Imagine me sitting in my office and the whole congrega congregation is lined up, you know, out the door there and with every movie that you watch, with every book that you read, with every conversation that you have, with every decision that you have to make in life, you have to ask the pastor's advice because you're not able to discern for yourself. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> and that's what it's referring to. It's not eliminating the need for instruction, but it's saying that as we grow in the Spirit, there is discernment that comes with that. There is maturity that comes with that. There is an alignment with God's will and an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And you don't have to run everything by the pastor. Does that make sense? In Second Timothy 4, I just want to remind you of the, of the need for good biblical teachers as well. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all love, long-suffering and doctrine. That's instruction to pastors. So you have to take them both. And in our context here, Jesus reminds the disciples, you don't have to get everything right away. I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to help you. So this command to love and a place to call home. You know, we're finishing a little bit early today. Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. I can't even count how many times I've stood up here and talked about love just these last few months. The command to love cannot be understated. And even if I have to say it a million more times, just to remind myself, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he says, and this is the commandment, love one another as I have loved you, and love God. If you were here for First John, you know that Loving God is one in the same as loving one another. How do I love God? How do I answer this lofty question? First John tells us, by loving one another, then you would have not achieved, <laughs> but they are the same thing. We cannot get around this fact. We cannot live unhindered, have the Spirit of God in us, and not love.
The two are incompatible. And in fact, if there is bitterness or resentment or anger or a grudge or no desire to, to change, it's evidence that the Spirit of God is not with you and you have not placed faith in Jesus Christ. That's unfortunately the truth. As believers, we have to, with our whole body and mind, strive for love. Whatever form that takes, we cannot be resentful. We cannot hold on to grudges and be pleasing to God. It would be like desecrating the temple. This is the instruction that Jesus gave them about the Holy Spirit. One of the many things that he had to say to them before I go. And we are going to read about his coming and we are going to read about uh, his crucifixion. We're going to read more about the Spirit. But know this morning that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have truly accepted Him as your Savior and understand the sacrifice on the cross, and if you have repented of your sins and asked forgiveness, Spirit is in you. It seals you, actually, unto salvation. Don't live life oblivious of that fact. Lord, no hour this is brief today, but I do pray that we take these words with us we endeavor to understand the significance of your Spirit dwelling within us. And we thank you for that. that you have not left us. And indeed, you are now more with us than ever. We thank you for this. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Amen.